Let's pray together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, for out of you, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Lord, may we recognize here today the true meaning of Advent, that the king is here and the king has been born and the king is here with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We trust in who you are, in your providence, O oh God, and in your promises. For God, you will never forsake your children and your people. You are the light that shines in our darkness. In this dark, dark world, God, you are the light that shines, and you are the light that shines, and you are the light that shines in my dark life. So God, we place all of our hopes in you today. We place all of our trust in you and in you alone not in human strength, not in human leaders or rulers of this world, but in you, for you are the one who was and who is and who is to come. So God, we remember you who was born here in Bethlehem. And as you transition now to the message, and as you learn about your journey, your life, your birth, on this earth 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, Lord, may we, in humility, truly understand, not just in our minds, but Lord, know in our heart, the baby, the infant Jesus, who came as a lamb to die on the cross for us. So God, we trust in you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, may it be pleasing, Lord, in your sight, O God, for you are our rock, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we place our trust and our hope in you and you alone. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. All right. God bless you, church. Let's take a moment to greet one another at this time. But let us continue on with our second week of Advent. Last week, we talked about Advent, the Lion and the Lamb, the introduction. And today, we're in the second week of Advent, and the title of today's message is called The First Advent of Christ in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. The First Advent of Christ in Bethlehem. So let me begin with the prophecy that was given 
in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. But you, Bethlehem, will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Today, we'll talk about the prophecy that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So let's all turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. So again, Micah 5, 2 is prophecy given. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12 is prophecy fulfilled. And the title says, The Magi Visit the Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, keep in mind, he was not overjoyed, he was not happy, but it says he was disturbed. That is a very important description. He was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Keep in mind, he's not searching for the Messiah to worship him, but to murder him, to kill him. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And the prophecy was found where? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That's what they're quoting here in Matthew, a completely different writer, written in a completely different time. They're quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He's lying. He wants to murder Jesus. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. A complete contrast from when the King Herod heard he was disturbed, but these individuals, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do? They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right, Arlene? Gold. Woo. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, another route. One more passage, Luke chapter 2, 
21. And the title is called, The Birth of Jesus. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clouds and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pardoned them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, we're finishing here, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Amen. We see here in Matthew chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 2 the description of Jesus being born and how he ended up in Bethlehem. We see the story of the Magi's and we see the story of the shepherds visiting Jesus paying homage and worship, buying down to Jesus in where? In Bethlehem. So let's talk about some descriptions here. Again, we're doing these series a little different from what you're normally used to with the points. There are points, but there are no numbers. But let's talk real quick about the description because I know that I talked about this last week. But let's talk about the manger. We understand from three sub-points here, the manger, oh, the dirty manger. This was Jesus' first bed. Let it be the place where animals lived, 
where the animals were kept and ate. So if you remember when we went to missions in Thailand, when we slept in the houses, we were on the second floor, at the top of the floor, and then there were a wooden floor, and then within the cracks, we see the animals on the bottom. And that's the kind of similarity that we see here, that this is where the animals had lived, and that's where the animals slept, and that's where the animals ate their food. So it was a place where animals lived. Let us see the lowliest of circumstances. The lowliest of circumstances. That's what the manger represents. Christ being born in a manger, it represents that no matter, it's a reminder to us, it's an encouragement to us Christians, that no matter how low life gets, Christ is always enough. It represents that no matter how tough life gets, that Christ is always enough. Think about it. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, being born in this circumstance, in this location, the dirty manger where the animals lived, representing the lowliest of circumstances. So as God prepared a place a manger for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, for the incarnate, when I say incarnate Christ, it means God in a human form coming as a man, being born as a child, the incarnate Christ, fully God, fully man, to be born, and it's a reminder to us that God always provides in our most difficult situations. And we've been through that. We, not to the extent of the manger, but when we had to meet for morning prayer in parking lot, when we didn't have a location, a building, in cars, worshiping and praising together inside a martial arts dojo, setting up every week, being faithful, being faithful to God, praying together that we understand it's not about the location. The church is not about the place or the location, but it's the church, the believers coming together and worshiping together, the living God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available. For them, the world was not ready for Jesus. The only people that were ready to receive Jesus was Mary, Joseph, Magi, and the shepherds. Those four are the ones who recognize Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, including Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's a sign note in this passage. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So we see our view of Jesus in his incarnate state, as a human state, as an infant state, born as an infant in a manger, it must not be our final image of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, it's a good reminder that Jesus was born in a manger. Yes, he was born in a dirty state. He was born in a place of the lowliest of circumstances where the animals had lived. It's good to know the beginning, how it all started. But the image of Jesus being an infant in a manger must not be our final image of our Jesus Christ. Just like the crucifix should not be our final image of Jesus Christ. Catholics have the crucifix on their wall. It's a reminder that, yes, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. But it's an empty grave. He's no longer on the cross. He's alive. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he will come back in power and might like the lion as we talked about last week. We cannot have this final image of Jesus being an an infant in a manger or as Jesus being on the crucifix, dead on the cross. Because the God child inside the manger is not the final image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being on the cross is not the final image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that Jesus, when he was born, that he grows up, He heals many, touches many, saves many, and he dies for all of mankind, of humanity, and he is raised from the dead, overcoming death itself, which is an impossible task that only God can do, and he ascends into heaven, and the promise that one day he will return to this earth not as a helpless infant, a lamb, but return in power and might, as we talked about last week, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the manger is a reminder to you to not get stuck in your circumstances, in your lowly positions. Do not forget who your God is. Do not forget who you are in God. Don't forget whose you are in God. Just like you and I remain broken and you'll remain, in your, you'll remain in your broken state. And as Christ did not remain broken, helpless in a manger, as Christ will come in power and might to judge the living and the dead, it's a reminder to you that we too will overcome any circumstances, any situations and that we will trust in him, for he is with us, and he walks with us. Second Timothy 4.1 says to judge the living and the dead. He will come in power and in might. So I want to end with this question. Are you living as Jesus is still a baby in a manger, or are you living as Jesus is the Lord of your life as King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that you will serve Jesus as your King and your Lord. Amen. That's what the manger represents. Let's talk about these characters now. Let's talk about Mary real quick. Mary real quick. Let's go ahead and talk about Mary. Let me give you the sub points right here from the beginning. Letter A, the faithful. B, the favor, C, the blessed, D, the humble, E, the courageous, F, the obedient, the 
obedient. Now, we learn from the story of Mary, and we've talked about this in the past, so I'm not going to linger too long in this, but we understand from the life of Mary that she was willing to have her whole reputation destroyed, ridiculed not just by her family members, neighbors, but also ridiculed by her enemies. We understand from the decision that Mary made of saying yes to the angel, meaning to God, Mary was fearless, she was courageous, and she was a strong, a faithful individual. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Nazareth, it represents set apart, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail, meaning for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So real quickly, let's talk about the faithful. Our reference here is found in verse 27. The faithful. It says, To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Meaning she was faithful not just to God, but to this man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So she was a faithful individual, let her be. The favor, verse 28 to 30, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, not cursed, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. The angel says it again. You have found what? Favor with God. So from the get-go, we understand that Mary, she was faithful, and she was favored by God. Let us see the blessed. Now, how is she blessed? We talked about her reputation being ruined. Is this a crazy blessing, or is this a crazy curse? What was this blessing that the angel brought to Mary? It was 
pregnancy, and she was a virgin. She was blessed. Verse 31 to 33 says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Amen. So we understand that she was blessed. I'm going to fumble upon my words a little bit here and there. My lip is ripped very badly, so I'm trying my best, but just giving you guys a heads up. So again, she was blessed. Letter D, the humble. Verse 34 to 37 says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. She doesn't say, of course, you better choose me. How will this be since I am a virgin? Her curiosity and her humility and her answer by saying yes later shows her true character that she was humble. Letter E, the courageous. How was she courageous? I often look at this story of Mary, and I think, and many of us will think the same, God, if my life will resemble anything remotely like Mary, we will say, God, don't bless me at all. Because we have this this meaning, this definition of what blessing means from God. It takes true courage to follow God all the way for God to bless you. In the worldly sense, her life is a tragedy. But in reality, with spiritual lens, her life was a blessing in disguise. Why would it be a tragedy? In the eyes of the world, the husband would reject her, Joseph, because her pregnancy would embarrass Joseph and would taint Joseph's reputation. How would she make Joseph understand? She would be shunned from her society, from her community. The penalty would be death. She may get stoned, for the law provided in cases like this for her to be stoned, to be promiscuous before the wedding. Remarriage is out of the question, for her reputation is completely tainted. No upstanding man in the future would ever marry her, since the stigma of sleeping around will follow Mary. It's not like now where she can go and live on her own. She wouldn't be able to move out, move out and about, go to a different city, and live on her own would be very difficult as a female individual during this context, during this time. So we understand the decision that she made. She didn't do it blindly. She knew what she was getting herself into. But what does she say? She says, yes, God, which shows 
her courage before the Lord. Letter F, the obedient. She was obedient. Verse 38, this is the last point here. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Knowing all the circumstances or the consequences that she is in, Mary, she still chooses the backdrop, the obedience of following the Lord. Her answer is, I am available. And what God calls Mary to do is actually is pretty horrible. I mean, she would instantly be brought to shame. Everyone in our town, the small town, they knew her, and she would instantly become an outcast. But despite all that, Mary still chooses obedience. She chooses the backdrop. Now, as Christians, we don't pray to Mary as Catholics do, but we honor her. We honor her. Why? For her faithfulness to God. May we remember Mary's humility. May we remember Mary for her faithfulness, her courage, her humility, her obedience, and all the soul points that I just mentioned here today. Now, let's transition to our next character, Joseph, real quick. Three soul points here real quick of Joseph is, letter A, the righteous, letter B, the obedient, letter C, the protector. As a man, as a Christian man, uh, we need to have these characteristics, uh, the righteous, the obedient, and the protector. Quickly, let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 24. In this passage, it reminds us, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, meaning he was a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because you will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So real quickly, the righteous. The righteous. The righteous. How was Joseph righteous? 
Verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That is why he was righteous. He was faithful to God. He was faithful in his walk with God, in his relationship with God. It says right away, the description of Jesus is, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph. What a righteous man, an honorable man. Righteous means just. Dikaios in Greek means upright, fair, to do the right thing. It means honorable, just, and good. By marrying Mary, Joseph will compromise himself in the eyes of the law. But we see that Joseph's righteousness went beyond the surface of the law but it went deep than a mere extension, the external righteousness before the Jewish law. It went much deeper than that. And how many of us are willing to follow God and be obedient to God and make sure that we are honorable not before the eyes of men, but before the eyes of God? How many of us are willing to go against the flow of things to do things differently when God calls us? He was honorable. He was righteous. He was just because he wanted to do the right thing. And what was the right thing to do? To obey, which leads to let her be the obedient. Verse 20 to 21 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The verdict was given. The instruction was given. The encouragement was given. And then in verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he what? He did. He didn't reject he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. They were both obedient, Mary and Joseph, and it took courage for what Joseph did here in verse 24. And keep in mind here, the angel addresses Joseph as what? The son of David. Joseph, son of David. Why? It's to emphasize Joseph's honor position. Uh, David is Israel's greatest king in history, and it's to show and to emphasize Joseph's honor position. And the angel tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The angel assures Joseph gives him the peace to proceed with this relationship. The world may say, don't. It's not good. Go ahead. Run away. But it is from God. And he says, yes, Mary's pregnancy is not of this world, but from the Holy Spirit given by God. And Joseph, any man in the right mind will say, nope. Walk away. But Joseph, he obeys. The obedient. And he follows the Lord. So again, Joseph was the righteous, the obedient, and let her see. Last is the protector. 
So when you think of Joseph, think of him as Joseph the protector. For Joseph, he protects Jesus and Mary. And it was good that he was a protector and that he was a fighter because within a short period of time from the passage that we just read in Matthew 1, in Matthew chapter 2, we see Herod that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 2, that we see that Herod, he had desire to kill Jesus. And it says here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And Herod, let me just tell you how evil this guy is. Any baby under the age of two, male babies, they die instantly. So Jesus never had someone who was probably around his age because they had all died. Only Jesus has survived. And this is very remotely close, similar to the story of Moses, right? Where God spares the life of Moses. Egypt as well, we see the connection there. We see Jesus, he lived and he went to Egypt for a short time while this genocide was happening of young male babies. So what year were you born? You can't say, oh, Kupa, 9898. No, no 98s. They're all gone. You're the only one. Jesus was the only one of his age in this region during this time. So we talked about the manger. We talked about Mary. We talked about Joseph. Let's quickly talk about these three characters, King Herod, the Magi, and the shepherds. They each had their own encounter of the living God. Two had similar responses, two different groups, and the king had a completely different type of worship. He was disturbed, and he wanted to kill the Messiah, whereas the two groups, the Magi and the shepherds, they went and worshipped the living God. So I want to start off with this question. King Herod, the Magi, and the shepherds. The question that I want to start off with is this. Will you recognize and obey the true king as the Magi and the shepherds did? Or reject and be disturbed as Herod did. Which category do you fall under? When you hear the gospel, when you hear the message of the birth of Jesus Christ, when you come to church and you hear the message of God, is your heart overjoyed with love for him, with worship for him? Or is your heart disturbed? Do you feel that God, Jesus Christ, is distant from you and that he is far from you? Or are you joyful here today in your worship before God as you're here at church? So quickly, let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. 
I know we've been doing a lot of reading, but hang in there with me. And the title says, The Magi Visit the Messiah. Keep in mind, the Magi, we don't know how many. It could have been 10, 20, 100, we don't know. We just assume it's three because of the three gifts, but it could have been many. So the Magi visit the Messiah. Starting verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So two sub-points real quick. Letter A, they recognized and disobeyed. In other words, they were disturbed. Who am I talking about here? I'm talking about who? King Herod and all the people in Jerusalem that heard this news. Just to give you reference, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So these individuals, this group, they recognized that Jesus was the king, but they disobeyed. They were disturbed. Letter B, they recognized and obeyed. In other words, they were joyful. Who falls under this category? The Magi and the shepherds. They recognized and they were joyful. Since we've been doing a lot of reading, I'm just going to read a portion of this passage here in Luke chapter 2. I'll just do verse 15, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. And it's a story of the shepherds. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go to verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So we see two different groups of people, the Magi and the shepherds, and they hear of this good news. 
And what do they do? They go and they worship him. When you see Jesus, when the gospel is presented to a human being, an individual, we as human beings will respond in two ways. Because as Christians, we know that Christianity, having faith in Jesus Christ, is the ultimate truth. It's the meaning to our life. It's our everything. And therefore, when the gospel is presented to a human being, they'll respond in two ways. Number one, they will obey and they will be joyful. Number two, they will disobey and they will be disturbed. So the question is, just like there's a flip side to a coin, which, which side of the coin will you stand upon? Will you be disturbed today or will you be overjoyed? We understand King Herod, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was what? Disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Herod thought that he was the king of Israel. But how wrong he was. And how hard he will fall in his pride. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Or, the flip side of that is found in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The best of the things that you can give to a royalty, to a royal individual. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the question is, will you pretend to bow down to worship? As Herod tried to do, as he lied to the people, or bow down and truly worship as the Magi? And the shepherds did. Will you come to God empty-handed? Or will you give him all your treasures? Just like the widow who gave in Luke chapter 21. The rich gave. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Will you come to him empty-handed? Or will you give him all your treasures, meaning all that you have? And in closing, and in closing, and in closing, Obedience is key. Obedience is key. Psalm 51, verse 16, First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 30. Psalm 51 is a prayer of David of his repentance before God. First Samuel chapter 15. 
We know the story of Saul when he disobeys God, when he was supposed to kill and destroy all of the things of the Amalekites, but he refuses and he follows his own way. And we see Samuel telling Saul that to obey is better than sacrifice. Does God delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? Right now, God, he desires obedience from us. And all these individuals here that we talked about, they all had one thing in common. They were obedient. Life comes down to one thing, and that one thing is this. Remember this. No matter what you do, no matter how much of great position you receive on this earth, no matter how much money you make on this earth, no, much, no matter how, how, much you, how much popularity you receive on this earth, remember this one thing. God requires one thing from you, and that is obedience. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. But Lord, you delight in my obedience to you and to you alone. For those who do not have a relationship with God, they will disobey. Clear. There is no middle gray area. You either obey or you disobey. And we know the story of 1 Samuel 15 with the Malachites when Saul was to destroy everything. And what does Saul say to Samuel? He says, come with me so that I may worship the Lord who? Not my God, but your God. That's what these individuals will say for those who do not see Jesus as the Messiah. But Mary... Joseph, the Magi, and the shepherds, they all had one thing in common. They were obedient, obedient, and obedient to the Lord. The advent of Christ in Bethlehem, it comes down to one thing. It's obedience of his faithful followers. Faith comes to life when you take that step of faith in obedience. Faith is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not God, if you give me a little more, then I'll be obedient. If there's only one thing that you would change, then I'll be obedient even though it doesn't make sense in the eyes of this world. My friends may say, and they will score me, and they will say, they will judge me and say, why would you go about in this way? Why would you follow God? Why would you go to church? What's the point of going on missions? But obedience is better than all things, than all your offerings, than all your sacrifices. Just like Mary just like Joseph. Be obedient. Be obedient. 
faith is not dwelling. Obedience is not dwelling on what we do not understand. But being faithful in our obedience. Faith is not just an act. It is a process that we must go through every single day. It is committing all that we know of ourselves in Christ Jesus. Let us be obedient here today as Mary was obedient to the living God. Mary is just such a sad individual. My heart breaks when I think about her. Her reputation being tainted, ruined. Not only that, to see her son her first son to die on the cross, to be persecuted, to be wrongly accused, to see her son on the cross, dead, bloody. Even then, Mary obeyed the Lord. Even when all the odds were against her, she obeyed the Lord. That's why we see Mary as such an honorable individual. And Mary stands out in her faith, for her faith, in the Bible. For she not only prepared the way of the Lord, but she provided him room. Where? In a room. The womb is the most intimate place for a female. The most intimate place of her body. Mary was in it for the long haul. She said, God, I am in it for the long haul. Question is, are you in it for the long haul? Say, God, it's too hard, too difficult. I think I'm done. Can't do this anymore. But may we recommit our heart back to him. May we say to him and tell him today, God, no matter how difficult my situation may be at home, I am in it for life. God, I am in it for the long haul. God, even now, I can't understand darkness everywhere. But I gave you my all. And I trust in you, for you have not forgotten me. So may we, as we're in the season of Advent, in this process of Advent, May we recommit our hearts back to God and tell him today, God, I am in it for the long haul until I take my final breath here on earth. Let us pray together. Holy Father, shepherd's dead. I recognize you as my Lord 
and my Savior. God, we give you our everything. Some of us, we are empty. We don't have much to offer you, God. We don't have anything to offer but our brokenness. You will not despise. You will not reject, oh Lord, when we come to you in humility. Just like the widow who gave her everything in Luke 21. Out of her poverty, she gave all that she had to you, God. Lord, we give you our everything to you, God, at this time. God, remember the story of Mary and Joseph, the beginning of where you came from, God, from the manger manger to the cross understanding your calm remembering your faithfulness to us a sinless an innocent lamb that went on the cross to die on our behalf we celebrate your birth and we are joyful today for the Messiah has come God, you are my Savior and my King. And we are joyful today. We are overjoyed. For God, you are with us. For you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Faithful, you have always been. first breath on this earth. Before you were God in the past from the ups and downs. And faithful you are even today. And faithful you will continue to be in our lives. Oh Lord. And receive this blessing in disgust of obedience. Can we all stand to our feet?
And I want to invite the praise team to please come up. And as a church and as a congregation, as people of God, may we worship Him with this last song here today. May it not just be words that we say, but may it be our prayer and our true, genuine worship before the living God. Let's sing together. Your eye is on the sparrow, and your hand it comforts us.
So God, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed as a sign of humility and casting aside every distractions, Lord, as Mary and Joseph declare, God, I am in it for the long haul. We declare today, not just with our voices, but with our hearts and with our lives. In this very moment, as we're breathing in this very moment, we declare, God, I am in it for life. God, I am in it for the long haul. And God, I give you my all. I may not understand why the things are happening to me right now. But Lord, in every season, in every situation, even in the lowliest of circumstances, Lord, may your name be praised and may your name be glorified. We place all of our trust in you and in you alone. From the manger to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to this earth and to the heavens. And as you will come back on the second advent, as you will come to judge the living and the dead, we worship you in spirit and in truth. And our lives we give to you all the way, not half-heartedly, but all the way, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this beautiful Sunday and for blessing us with the space and with the message delivered to us through Reverend Andrew this morning. Lord, on the second week of Advent, we are reminded of your first arrival, your humble birth in a manger in Bethlehem. However, we choose not to dwell on this image of you, but rather see you for the triumphant and almighty King of Kings that you are, who overcame and conquered death. Therefore, we confidently place our trust and our hope in you, knowing that we too can overcome any circumstances in our lives. Like Mary and like Joseph, we desire to be faithful, courageous, and obedient to your will, and we yearn to honor you in all that we do. Unlike King Herod, we welcome and accept you as our one true Lord and Savior, and with joyful hearts, we will continue to worship you and commit ourselves to you for the rest of our days. At this time, we lift this offering up to you, thankful for you and for all that you have done for us. Although it is only a small portion compared to the overflowing abundance that we have received from you first, we pray that this offering will be used to further your works and bring glory to your name. Please continue to watch over each of our members and protect them and their families this week. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.